continue to eat to get enough protein into our diet. So if we are eating these high carbs, high fat, which the single biggest recipe for obesity is to eat high carbs and high fat together. Like you're done when you do that. You just kicked up your blood sugar, kicked up your insulin. Now you're storing and you just gave it carbs and fat to store. Boom. So major problem. But let's say that you're having that skim milk latte, which is a milkshake, and that muffin, which is a cupcake for breakfast. Your body needs more protein than that. And so it's going to make you want to eat more and more and more to get to that level of protein. So instead of doing that, just eat the protein. You'll be majorly satiated. It's thermic, way more thermic than protein and fat are, and it's gonna help with blood sugar balance, so you won't start the roller coaster. If you haven't done so already, go ahead and click that subscribe button down below. It's a little red button, you punch that, and it's gonna notify you every time we put out a new episode that can help you improve your bone health. And then also, if you haven't done so already, head over to bonecoach.com, sign up for the free, seven day osteoporosis kickstart. That's gonna walk you through everything you need to be doing right now to get on the path to improvement and stronger bones. After you do those two things, go ahead and press play on this episode and I'll see you inside. Welcome, welcome to this episode of The Bone Coach Show. Joining us today to explore sugar cravings, food intolerances, and the impact of inflammation plus how to improve is JJ Virgin. JJ Virgin is a triple board certified nutrition expert and fitness hall of famer who is passionate advocate of eating and exercising smarter. JJ helps people stay fired up and healthy as they age. So they feel the best they ever have at age 40 plus JJ is a prominent TV and media personality whose previous features include co-host of TLC's freaky eaters two years as the on-camera nutritionist for weight loss challenges on Dr. Phil numerous appearances on PBS. Dr. Oz, Rachel Ray, Access Hollywood, and The Today Show. She also speaks regularly and has shared the stage with notables including Tony Robbins, Seth Godin, Lisa Nichols, Gary Vaynerchuk, Dr. Mark Hyman, Dan Buettner, and Mary Morrissey. JJ is the author of four New York Times bestsellers, The Virgin Diet Cookbook, JJ Virgin Sugar Impact Diet, and JJ Virgin Sugar Impact Diet Cookbook. Her latest book, Warrior Mom, Seven Secrets to Bold, Brave Resilience, shows caregivers everywhere how to be strong, positive leaders for their families while exploring the inspirational lessons JJ has learned as she fought for her own son's life. JJ hosts the popular Ask the Health Expert podcast with over 14 million downloads and growing. JJ is also a business coach and founded the premier health entrepreneur event and community, the Mindshare Collaborative. You can visit www.jjvirgin.com for hundreds of free recipes and resources, plus state-of-the-art programs, products, and plenty of support to help you build your dream life. JJ, great to have you here today. Good to be here. I was just listening to your whole thing going, oh, my bio is outdated. But isn't it funny how the reality is things get outdated in like a day? The minute you write them, they're outdated. We, so. We've done so many amazing <laughs> things in, uh, in the health community, for the health community, You've got all these amazing books out there. And I think what's going to be really important for our, our audience too is um, I'd love to even get an understanding of your story and how you got to the point of being such an inspirational leader in the health space. Uh, my story, let's see, how far do we want to go back? You know, it's funny, Kevin, people are like, when did you get into health? And I will say, I don't understand not being in health. Like, I don't, you know, it doesn't make any sense to me. Early on growing up in Berkeley, California, people were health nuts. And I'm like, wouldn't you want to be a health nut? Like, what's the alternative, right? 
And so I literally grew up in a place where farm to table was the norm. Although my mother um, was from the Midwest and literally made those, those casseroles with the Campbell soup and the the chips on top, right? And served me Pop-Tarts. My nickname was Poppy because she served me Pop-Tarts for breakfast. So at 12, I revolted and drove her nuts because I wouldn't eat any, I wouldn't eat the white bread. I didn't do dessert. Like I just flipped everything and started to really focus on it. But the focus back then is really where I've come back to. And I think it's a much healthier focus for everybody. The focus on then was how can I be uh, you know, my best athlete. I wanted to be a, a musical theater actress. So it was really like, how can I perform the best? What do I need to do if my body's an instrument? And I think about that so much now because, you know, so many women focus on losing weight and being slim. And I thought, what if we focused instead on being strong and, you know, having great energy? Like we'd get to the same place, but it's so emotionally, it's much healthier emotionally to do it that way. And one of your your most recent book, Warrior Mom, Seven Secrets to Bold, Brave, Resilience, you tie in even a little bit about that mindset piece too. How does that mindset tie into your health? You know, it's so funny. When I went to sell that book, they were like, you're not a mindset person. You're a diet person. I go, <clears throat> read my books. Like if you've, been, if you've read my books or done any of my programs, you know that it all starts with mindset. It starts with mindset. It ends with mindset. You know, your vision is what's going to guide everything. And it, it's interesting. There is a study that came out that showed that in terms of aging, that people who have a positive mindset around aging live seven and a half years longer than those who don't. I mean, what crazy stuff. I was working with a doctor early on who was an obesity. He was a bariatric doc who was obese, by the way. It was always so interesting. And he hired me to help him. <laughs> this is the strangest situation. And he said to me, he goes, you know, I have a way to get a hundred percent of my patients to have great results if they just do this thing. I'm like, well, okay. A, why aren't you doing the thing? But okay, what's the thing? We'll get everyone to do it. And the thing was so simple. He said, all you do is you have them take a picture of their ideal body type that they want and put their face on it and envision it every single day. And you know, that is where I always start with people is, okay, you're here now. Where do you want to be? Let's get such a clear picture. When my son was in the hospital, he was literally fighting for his life, hit by a car, um, big brain injury, big trauma to his aorta, uh, 13 fractures. And the vision I just held so clearly was he was going to be 110%. He was going to be playing tennis and swimming and having a great life. And I just kept that vision. And so that's where it really always has to start. Like, what is that vision? Because everything is created twice, right? And the first time it's created is your mind. You don't just build a house. You have to have the plans first. You had to think it up. So everything always starts with mindset and everything is also limited by your mindset. You're never going to get farther than you believe you can go. Wholeheartedly agree with that. And you've got such a powerful story, you know, with, with your son also. And um, I'm glad that everything turned out to be okay there. And um, I know in terms of the mindset piece, as a lot of people are on their health journeys and they're trying to figure things out and get the right answers, it's really easy to get derailed also. And I think a big area for derailment for people is with sugar. Um, maybe I know because you've written and you, you're an expert on this topic, you wrote the sugar impact diet, 
uh, drop seven hidden sugars, lose up to 10 pounds in just, in just two weeks. And you focused a lot on the impacts of sugar on our health. Can you talk about that? Yeah. Gosh, if you told me I was going to write books on sugar, I would say, no, I'm not. Uh, I, it just wasn't an area that was remotely interesting to me. I would just tell people, just put the cookie down, just stop that. Right. Because genetically I could care less about sweets. I can take them or leave them. Now I'm adopted and my adopted mother is the person who serves you dessert for lunch and dinner. She has seized candy always. She always has ice cream. She makes cookies and, and cake, right? I was surrounded by it. And so when I wrote The Virgin Diet about food intolerance, when I first was doing that program before it became a book, it was six foods, not seven, which I'm glad we got seven because it sounded so much better. The Virgin Diet is drop seven foods, lose seven pounds, just seven days. Six just wouldn't quite have worked as well. But I had to pull sugar in because I hadn't, had it as one of the, the foods to pull and everyone started eating it. When I got done writing that book and started taking, you know, now millions of people through the program, the um, biggest question I got asked about was about sugar. And people, one of two things happened. And I think that the biggest challenge we have for our health actually is confusion and overwhelm because of all the misinformation out there. And, you know, sugar's pretty much a clear one, but even there, there's so much crazy misinformation and people are like, well, it's, you know, it's, it's all natural. So it'll be fine. It's maple syrup. It's honey. It's whatever, right. It's sugar in the raw, or they would say, you know, but it's, it's got no calories. It's artificial. So it's fine. Right. Or on the other side, they just go, I just can't quit because I love what Dr. Mark Hyman says. He says, sugar is our number one recreational drug of choice. And the research is really clear on that, that it activates the same pleasure centers in the brain as opiates do. So I really set out when I looked at sugar, I go, huh, what, how are we approaching it that's not working? And what can we do to free people from these cravings and craziness they have around sugar because you're not gonna white knuckle your way through it. So that's that was what the Sugar Impact Diet set out to do. Hey, it's Bone Coach Kevin Ellis. I wanna take one more minute to talk about if you are somebody who was newly diagnosed with osteopenia or osteoporosis, and you're at a point where you're stressed, you're worried, you're overwhelmed, you have no idea where to start or how to get started getting confident in your plan, or maybe something has been proposed as an option that you're not ready to go down yet, right? You wanna to try to do everything you possibly can naturally before considering that as an option. Or if you're the person who has been on this journey for a while, you've tried to figure all these things out on your own when it comes to osteoporosis, but you're still losing bone. If either of those situations is where you're at right now, I wanna tell you about the Stronger Bone Solution Program. Over 5,000 people have come through the Stronger Bone Solution Program and it walks you through the exact process you need to fill in the missing pieces, uncover critical things in your plan that you may not be aware of, and help you make modifications, adjustments, and tweaks to get you to the place where you're building stronger bones. That's what this program can do for you. And it's run for years and helped many, many people. And I want you to be able to benefit from this program as well. So if you're not confident and you're waking up every single day worried about fracture, wondering how are you, how am I going to improve my bone health today? I don't want you to be in that position. I want you to get confident in your plan so that you can focus on living life and enjoying the life that you deserve with the people you love most. So if that's where you wanna be, 
head over to bonecoach.com forward slash apply and apply for our Stronger Bone Solution program right now. I'm Bone Coach Kevin Ellis. I want to see you inside this program. I want to help you get on the path to improvement in Stronger Bones. So go over, submit your application. If we approve your application and it's free to apply, then we'll let you know the next steps to get started in one of those programs. So hope to see you inside very soon. Let's get back to the episode. And and then in terms of what what are the impacts on our health, right? For those that continue to incorporate, you know, sugary sweet treats or even even maybe things they might not be suspecting. They they think they're doing the right things, but sugar may be sneaking its way in and there. Right. And I think honestly, that's probably most of your listeners. I would imagine most of your listeners are not like sucking down a big gulp, you know, followed by some Oreos. I'm really guessing that. And it was interesting as I started to look at this book, because I wanted to look at a couple things. I, I went first off and I looked at everything that had been done around sugar and realized we, ha- we really weren't approaching it correctly because all carbohydrates turn to sugar. It's just a matter of whether we're mainlining them or making it slowly from the food we eat, right? We want to, we want the latter. We want to make it slowly from the food we eat. So what's happening with the other? How are these things sneaking in, especially when someone's trying to eat healthy? Well, they might be going to the grocery store and they are um, looking at labels that say low glycemic. And so it sounds amazing, except low glycemic can actually be high sugar impact because things like agave or crystalline fructose or apple juice concentrate have a low glycemic index because fructose doesn't raise blood sugar. However, it creates insulin resistance and it's easily stored as fat. And so that's what I set out to clear up. I'm like, okay, how do we look at this? Because someone going into the grocery store and looking at something and saying, oh, it's low glycemic, this will be okay. Or, oh, it's a green drink, it will be okay. Do you know these green drinks, like that green machine drink has more sugar than a soda does. It is insane. And when you look at it, it says, you know, five different types of greens. Well, the first things in there are pineapple juice, apple juice, grape juice. It's like all this fruit juice, which fruit juice is just a soda, right? It's got all this fruit juice and then some greens because otherwise it wouldn't taste very good. Let's be honest. Greens don't taste awesome. Then you look at things like the yogurts, which say no sugar added because you can easily lie on a label by putting fruit juice concentrates and saying no sugar added which what else would fruit juice concentrate be? It's all sugar. So I think the big challenge is, is that, you know, people are being duped by misinformation and the labels can easily lie and they don't realize where all the sugar sneaking in. And so when you have these sugar sneaking in, there's a variety of things that happen. The first thing that happens, and I watched this happen, you know, in the eighties, I, I started working professionally in the eighties, um, doing nutrition and fitness. And that was the time when fat was the villain and we were going to pull all the fat out and we were going to eat. You probably, you were too young, so you don't know any about this, but you were supposed to eat like six meals, mini meals a day. We we're supposed to graze all day long and eat really, really low fat, as close to no fat as possible, preferably a vegan or vegetarian diet. And so it basically was like all carbs, right? And I remember I would, I would eat like, you know, six to 10 times a day, I just would carry things with me and all I ate were carbs. And I was so hypoglycemic and I was, you know, working out like crazy, doing lots of resistance training. And, you know, I sit here at 60 at 12% body fat. I was 25% body fat back then working out all day long, you know, eating this way. 
And what I'd done was turn myself into a sugar burner where my body was, was so um, used to having sugar coming in all the time. And my insulin was elevated that I couldn't access stored fat for fuel. And I had to just use sugar. When you start to eat like this, a couple things happen. One, you can get hypoglycemic and everybody knows how that feels and it's awful, that irritable, clammy, cranky, shaky feeling. Um, but the other things that it does is causes you to gain belly fat and you just can't shake it. It makes you have cravings for sugar because your body can't access stored fat for fuel. So you have to rely on the incoming. And those are just, and you know, it makes you tired. It makes you irritable. It makes you have brain fog. It messes up your skin. It gives you joint pain. But those are, those are like the symptoms when you really unpack all the major diseases, cancer, heart disease, dementia, big time with dementia, osteoarthritis, you start to go through all of them, you realize that sugar is either a trigger or majorly additive to any of these types of things, especially when you start to look at cancer and heart disease and dementia, holy smokes. And, and again, I think the big challenge is, is that most people aren't sitting down and dumping a bunch of sugar in their coffee they don't realize that the, the honey, the all natural honey is the problem. They don't realize that the marinara sauce that they just used has more sugar than a couple Oreo cookies. They don't realize that the healthy morning muffin they got from the coffee place that has the same amount of sugar as two hostess cupcakes, right? That's, that's a big one. I think a lot of people go get their convenience, you know, coffee in the morning or something like that. They walk out of Starbucks and really what they're drinking is a dessert. Right. In a, in a glass, it's loaded with sugar. Um, and they had a cupcake with it, that little muffin. I know. Right. And that's not, frosting on it. <laughs> that's not a good breakfast. And I think what a lot of people think of, especially in the U S is a lot of people think of breakfast is like starchy carb, carbohydrate rich foods. Um, but they don't focus on, you know, that maybe what you would typically eat for lunch or dinner could also be a breakfast meal. What are your, do you have any thoughts around that? It is so interesting. I, when I was at UCLA undergrad, I got the opportunity to go to Japan to help bring aerobics to Japan. This was really, really funny. And so I went to Japan and they ended up, I lived in Tokyo part of the time, but then they took me to this little island called Kochi. And I'm like the only white person on this island. And so everything is traditional. So I'm having traditional Japanese breakfast. Traditional Japanese breakfast is, um, dried fish on rice. Ew, right? Dried fish on ice and then like maybe some eggs. It's it's not, I, I never once saw a any kind of a croissant, a donut or nothing. No, you know, you would have one coffee and that and very savory umami breakfast with protein in it. And especially you go to other countries, same thing. I don't know where we got the idea that we should start the day with dessert. Like if you think of the most important thing you can do when you're breaking your fast is break your fast to make sure you get in that protein, like, you know, so that you stop muscle protein breakdown. <laughs> like it is the single most important thing you do. And it sets the metabolic tone for the day. So if you start the day with dessert, you just started a blood sugar roller coaster. You're not getting off of, you're in deep trouble. So this idea of a healthy morning muffin is just ridiculous. Like the single most important thing you can do when you break your fast is get in 30 grams of protein or more. Got to do it. Totally agree. And, and also if you start your day with carbohydrate rich foods and you don't have that protein, you're going to be eating or snacking very mm -hmm. shortly after. And you're going to be like, gosh, I'm hungry again. Well, the reason you're hungry again is because you're not satiated because you didn't have 
protein in those meals. Um, Have you heard of the protein leverage hypothesis? You want to explain that for everybody? This is, I think this is one of the most fascinating things. I had a great nutrition mentor early on who would always talk about the studies that have been ignored. And I think this is one of those. And when you hear it, you're like, oh, that's why. And it was these insect researchers who discovered this. And it is that we will continue to eat to get enough protein into our diet. So if we are eating these high carbs, high fat, which the single biggest recipe for obesity is to eat high carbs and high fat together. Like you're done when you do that. You just kicked up your blood sugar, kicked up your insulin. Now you're storing and you just gave it carbs and fat to store. Boom. Um, so major problem, but let's say that you're having that skim milk latte, which is a milkshake and that muffin, which is a cupcake for breakfast, your body needs more protein than that. And so it's going to make you want to eat more and more and more to get to that level of protein. So instead of doing that, just eat the protein. You'll be majorly satiated. It's thermic, way more thermic than protein and fat are, and it's going to help with blood sugar balance. So you won't start the roller coaster. That's great. I'd love to hear, you know, do you have any favorite breakfast meals or anything like that that you specifically like to incorporate? I have literally been doing loaded smoothies for gosh, now decades. That is just the one that I do occasionally. I, I will go a little crazy and have it stirred into nut yogurt instead. But basically I make a loaded smoothie every day and I use protein powder, uh, good karma flax milk because it's got extra protein and freshly ground flaxseed meal. That's like my go-to. I do not feel good when I do carbs at breakfast. If I'm traveling, um, fortunately, I, I when I you know first started in the food intolerance world, I had major sensitivities to dairy and eggs. I've healed my gut so I can do eggs, which is great because when you travel, it can be a little tough, right? Um, but we were just traveling on the road last week and I had a an egg and egg white omelet so I can get enough protein with turkey in it and veggies. Easy. Yeah, that's really that's really easy. And I love what you just talked about um, eggs. I, I used to be that guy that would hard boil eggs and I'd open them up. You know, I would take them with me and I'd open them up and it would just the whole plane would turn or I, I learned really quick. You shouldn't be doing <laughs> that. Um, yeah. Or tuna. No tuna on the plane. Or yeah, the tuna, I do uh, canned mackerel and stuff like that. Um, you mentioned food intolerances though. So a lot of times when people are trying to meet their protein needs or meet their nutrient needs, they're looking at sources like dairy, right? If Especially for our audience, we're like, mm -hmm. how, how do you get the nutrients you need to support your bone health? There are other sources other than dairy that you can do that. But dairy right. is one that can deliver those nutrients but they could have an intolerance to certain foods. So maybe could we talk about what is a food intolerance? Yes. Yeah, so this is, this is interesting because uh, I was working for a lab company and for designs for health. So these two companies got together to do this specialized lab. So I'm going around teaching how to use these labs. And one of the labs was a food sensitivity test. So now I'm looking at these labs and I've seen hundreds of these labs. And now I'm talking to the lab director to corroborate what I'm seeing, which is that pretty much all of the tests I see coming back, people are intolerant to eggs and dairy. And quite often they're also intolerant to corn, soy, and peanuts. Now, the way that we look at gluten was a different type of test because it's a different type of immune response. This was a delayed food response, which means 
that your gut gets leaky. You've got your gut should have, your small intestine should have these um, tight junctions. But due to things like stress and pain medications and a crappy diet, your tight junctions start to loosen. When they loosen, you're, they're like one cell thick and right underneath them is your immune system. And so think about this, we're eating, we're not digesting as well as we should be. We're chewing too fast, we're drinking too many liquids, our, our hydrochloric acid is lowered. Then these food particles get into our small intestine, they haven't been properly broken up. Little particles slip through into your immune system where they're not supposed to be. Your immune system goes, what is that? And you've got little proteins from the food, the antigens that the, the immune system throws up antibodies to deal with because they're not supposed to be there. These come together as immune complexes. Now, perfect world, not too many of them. Your body has macrophages, cleaning them out, getting rid of them. But if they're the things that you're eating every single day, and if you look at the standard American diet, gluten, dairy, eggs, corn, soy, peanuts, sugar, artificial sweeteners are everything. And I'll make two more points about leaky gut because food intolerance really is due to leaky gut. Um, gluten and fructose especially are two things that make that gut more permeable. Like they are key culprits of this. In fact, gluten triggers the release of, a, of zonulin, which releases those tight junctions. So now you've got these little immune complexes and they are building up. And as they build up, they start to create these symptoms. The challenge is these are symptoms that we all think are just normal, like a headache every afternoon, fatigue, brain fog, joint pain, gas and bloating, and inability to lose weight, inflammation, big thing they trigger is inflammation. And we're just like, oh, no, that's just, that's just normal, right? It is not normal, but because it's so mild, we get used to it. And we think it's just normal for us. And so as I'm looking at these food sensitivity tests and seeing all of this, you know, I, was, I started looking, I go, I wonder why we've always done this elimination diet, which has been used in nutrition for decades. When I'm not seeing any of the foods, I always thought, gosh, that's a complicated diet with the citrus and the strawberries and the nuts. And I thought I, you'd see this occasionally where someone has really got leaky gut and they're just reactive to everything. Usually it's due to toxicity. But for the most part, people had mild leaky gut where eggs and or dairy were always like the ones. And then right below that, if they were leakier, it was going to be corn, soy, peanuts. It was always happening. And so what happened was I started looking at the food elimination diet and I thought, you know, that's complicated. I think what I'll do is just focus on these foods that seem to be the most common because the food test was taking three weeks to come back. I thought, you know what I'll do in the time while they're waiting for the test results to come back, I'll just pull out these foods. I'll pull out those, the, the corn, soy, peanuts, eggs, dairy, and the gluten, because we knew the gluten was causing a problem. And we'll just start some gut healing. Well, they'd come back in three weeks to get their test results. And they like the average person lost seven to 10 pounds in a week because they were just getting rid of that inflammation. They got rid of the cravings because you tend to crave these foods that are hurting you because these antibodies now, your body's starting to make them, you know, wade in weight for the food. So you get rid of the cravings after a couple of days, they're losing weight. They all of a sudden can think straight. They've got great energy. They're not achy. I had someone with chronic tendonitis for a year, three times a week of PT for a year, went away in a week. And, you know, now we're reviewing their test results, which they don't even care what the test says, because they know how much better they feel, right? 
And so that's where this all came from. And I would never have realized the extent of all of it until I started to see it. People's autoimmune conditions reversing, you know, inflammation going away, weight loss resistance getting healed. And I still love the food sensitivity test. However, I think that the very best test is how you feel. And if you know that when you pull dairy out, you feel great. And when you put it back in, you get stuffy and you break out. This is a food that doesn't work for you, right? Like, what do you need to know? Um, and so that's that was the keystone of food intolerance. And it's so important because yes, Greek style yogurt can be a great source of protein. Whey can be a great source of protein, but not for everybody. Like I just had my husband do food sensitivity testing and um, gut testing. Of course, we were on a cruise, Kevin, and, and I get the test back and say, hey, you, I, you know, I've been trying to get him to completely stop gluten for years. And then I get the test back and on a cruise, I'm like, guess what? <laughs> and then I get the food sensitivity test, but, you know, and so some people actually need to see it, right? But if you're eating these things and you're intolerant to them, they're creating low-grade inflammation. That is at the root of all disease, all problems. You look at low-grade inflammation, it's going to block your body's ability to build muscle. It's going to lead to insulin resistance. It's going to make you feel crappy, right? I mean, so it just, you just don't want to do it. So I always say, you know, I think eggs, eggs are one of the greatest foods out there if you're eating pastured eggs. I think whey protein and Greek style yogurt can be amazing, but they may not be amazing for you. And you either need to roll through the virgin diet to see if they figure out which foods work for you and which foods don't. I'm not saying, I think when people read the book, they're like, oh, it's dropped seven foods forever. I go, no, no, it's dropped seven foods for three weeks and then heal your gut, go back and see which ones work and which ones don't. And if those foods don't work for you, heal your gut, really go and heal your gut. And you may find that you can then rotate in pastured eggs, right? Or you may find that just doesn't work for you. Again, it really has to do with individualization. And then you can figure this out. The other thing with dairy too, you know, as I was digging through dairy with the book, because obviously like I did a public television show on the virgin diet and the sugar impact diet. Oh my gosh, the questions I got asked about dairy and, and calcium and bones. But it's interesting because if you really start to dig into the research about dairy and bone health, it's actually the opposite of what people think. And I'm sure you've talked about this, right? You know, where people think they need dairy for bone health, but yet, you know, they find that people who are drinking, especially milk and, and milk's an entirely different food than say having, um, Greek style yogurt or whey, but the, you know, they're finding people that the drink, the more what milk have the worst, more issues with osteoporosis. So don't be afraid if, if uh, you cannot get, got, not get the dairy in, there's plenty of ways to have strong bones and dairy to me is not one of the ways I go for it. And you brought up so many important points there. I mean, number one is that as you're trying to figure things out and make progress in your health journey, you're going to hear about different superfoods or this food can help you do this. And this food can help you do this. Make note of those things, but realize it might not actually work for you. If it creates inflammation in your body, it's not a health food for you. Uh, the other thing that you brought up that stood out to me was food intolerances aren't necessarily forever right? It could be an issue, an underlying issue with the gut that gets resolved. And then you could try to reintroduce those foods to see if you still have an issue with them. Some things, are there foods that you like to see that are just permanently removed, right? That, that people just shouldn't include in their diets, period. I just don't think gluten's a good thing. Now, 
there's a, it's, it's like, is it the gluten or the glyphosate? Cause I will tell you that when I'm out of the country, when I'm in Italy, it's an entirely different situation when I'm in Peru, but gluten in the United States comes with glyphosate. And so it's like, which one is really damaging the gut? And we know that gluten can, um, you know, trigger the release of zonulin. So I just, I don't see gluten as a great thing. If you'd asked me like a couple of years ago, I would say never dairy again. I don't, I think that there's some good things in dairy. Like if you can get, especially A2 cow, like this is impossible to find, but in perfect world, you would get this A2 grass-fed milk that you could turn into yogurt and do Greek style. And that'd be great. Um, but I do think that, that there's some great things about whey and there's some great things about Greek style yogurt. I'm not a fan of milk and I'm especially yeah. not a fan of skim milk at all. Um, and I, eggs, grew up, I grew up on that, by the way, A2? three glasses of skim milk a day. Oh, like, Oh, body good. Yeah. How did that work for you? Yeah. Not, not too good. <laughs> and, um, I mean, this is such an important thing with dairy too, because, uh, yeah, I, I agree the whole drinking milk and, and having that be, you know, it's something you rely sugar. on for stronger bones, that's not going to be the best thing, but if you can tolerate it, and you're incorporating it just like you're talking about cultured and fermented dairy could be a great addition whey protein there's some great things in whey protein glutathione lactoferrin you've got mm -hmm. all those great amino acids uh, that are going to help especially if you're you know if you're doing the resistance training which is going to be important for your bones yeah and and like i love grass-fed ghee so again you know you could look at eggs like and to me, eggs are very similar to the to the cow story. The factory cow and the grass-fed finished cow are totally different foods. The factory egg and the pastured egg are totally different foods. And so, you know, choose wisely. You may find, and I've seen this with so many people over the years, that they can't eat factory eggs, but they do fine on pastured eggs. So that's the other piece to, to discover. But the first thing is to, and again, you can either do an IgG4 food sensitivity test, or you can do the virgin diet. And then depending on what comes out, you'll probably want to, if you've got any kind of food reactions, that's showing that your gut's more permeable than it should be. This happens because of stress, fructose. Um, and if you're not actively watching out for fructose, oh my gosh, it's just used in everything and they'll hide it in health foods by call, by, you know, agave or crystalline fructose. It's the worst sugar of them all, the worst hands down of everything, except for artificial sweeteners. Those are their own class of bad. Um, so, you know, then you need to heal your gut to see if you can get some of these things back in, but boy, you, you pull out foods that aren't working for you. It is one of the fastest ways to feel better fast. It's amazing. You drop that inflammation. It's like, I had one gal who was part of a girl band and literally her fellow band, her fellow singers thought she'd gone and gotten plastic surgery. That's amazing. And, and, um, one thing I I'm curious, I, I would love to hear your, your thoughts on fruit sugars. So a lot of times people think it's fruit it's healthy. It's got nutrients in it. I can eat as much as I want. Do you have any limits on that or any thoughts about certain fruits that people should or should not eat? Yes. Um, boy, my favorite guy on fructose, well, two of them, I, you know, Dr. Rick Johnson, who wrote nature wants us to be fat. 
so good on fructose. And of course, Dr. David Perlmutter, because that's really the tie-in with uric acid. Here's the thing. A cup of blueberries or, or, or an apple is an entirely different food than a glass of apple juice, right? Um, a grape is an entirely different food than a raisin. So what we want to do is have fresh or frozen fruit, not dried, not juiced, not syruped, not jammed, right? Not condensed. So fresh or frozen. And my basic plan for people is eating, you know, 0.7 to 1 gram per pound of target body weight of protein a day in three divided doses with at least 30 grams at a time, five or more servings of non-starchy vegetables, more is better, and then two servings of fruit. There's when I take people through the sugar impact diet, I actually take them off of fruit for two weeks because I want to get them back sensitized to the sweet taste because fructose is so super sweet. And I also want to get them bad at transporting fructose. It turns out with fructose that the more you eat, the better you are at transporting it to the liver. Now, your small intestine can absorb a little bit of fructose, but it's not likely. Most of it's going to the liver where it's getting absorbed. And in the liver, that fructose will be converted to glucose and served as glycogen, but there's not a whole lot of space there, which is why we now have non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. Like it's now a big thing. That is from fructose. That is what it's from, right? Non-alcoholic. It is purely from fructose. It's from crystalline fructose. It's from agave. It's from fruit juice concentrates. It's from apple juice, right? This is where it's coming from. Everyone's blaming the high fructose corn syrup in the sodas, but you know, that's part of it, but agave is higher in fructose than that is. Apple juice concentrates higher in fructose than that is. And fructose is a key problem. And so it, it's interesting when you look at it, I would say sugar gives you fuel, fructose gives you fat. And not only does it do that, it also is more glycating than any of the other sugars, more aging. It also creates gut permeability worse than any of the, the sugars. It feeds cancers worse than any of the sugars. It's sweeter, so it's going to activate your sweet tooth more than anything else. So, and I'm not even sure why I got on the rant about fructose. What? Oh, you were asking me about fruit sugars. So this does not mean don't eat fruit. This means don't unwrap your fruit and turn it into a soda, right? And so I tell people two fruits a day. And one of the key things in diet, and I'm glad you brought up that superfood, is diet diversity. And uh, I can't remember if it was Dr. Sarah Ballantyne or Deanna Minnick. Both of them are really great on diet diversity. And one of them told me, you know, eat 50 different plant sources a week. And thank God uh, that spices count. Cause I was like 50, holy smokes. But it made me start to look at, cause it's easy to get into a, like a blueberry rut. And I'm like, well, I can do blueberries. I can do raspberries. I can do blackberries. I can do gala apples. I can do Fuji apples. I can... So how many different things can you eat in a week? How many different vegetables can you eat in a week? How can you incorporate more things in? And so I now make sure I get two fruits a day, but I don't eat more than two fruits a day right? That's, that's my window for people is two a day. If someone has, is insulin resistant um, and has, and we're trying to get their, their blood sugar under control, and they also have a big sweet tooth, I'll take them through sugar impact diet and drop out fruit for two weeks. And I may take them to only one fruit a day for a while and keep it to something like berries, but long-term, I think two fruits a day. And, you know, obviously don't go do the ripest bananas you can find. I, you know, I don't, I don't think we have to be so concerned in sugar impact diet. I was like, I put medium sugar impact of things like, 
you know, pineapples and papayas and these types of things, but most of us aren't eating that every day. And even so you, you can totally have a cup of papaya every day. Um, I'm a fan of slightly green bananas because I like that resistant starch and putting that in my smoothie. Like if I do use any fruit in my smoothie, that's what I do. I freeze bananas when they're barely getting there ripe wise and throw half of that in. But I think, you know, the bigger concern isn't, isn't between the fresh fruit. It's between the dried and, and juiced fruit. Yeah, totally agree. And the berries too. I mean, I, I love berries. I think they can be a great addition. Uh, there are some berries that I've even looked into a little bit more recently that are that have higher antioxidant levels than even blueberries, uh, lingonberries, aronia berries, huckleberries, uh, even wild blueberries have higher antioxidant levels than, uh, um, than regular blueberries do too. So, um, I think there's obviously we want to watch our sugar intake and we want to limit the amount of fruit that we're taking in and get some non-starchy vegetables. But if you do incorporate fruits, I think berries are an awesome option too. Yes. And just, you know, measure like we have, we use, we measure in and weigh in our kitchen because the average person underestimates what they eat by 40%. I will now, I, I work with a couple people one-on-one. -on -one. I will not work with someone unless they are willing to track what they're eating. Non-optional because until they start to do that, it's usually this big eye opener. They're like, oh, <laughs> right, right. And it really, I'm more looking at what I want to make sure you're including in your diet, that you're getting in that protein, that you're getting in those non-starchy vegetables, that you're getting the diversity of them and you're getting in that fruit. That's like my big concern because I think that if we start to focus first on what you add before we think about what you take away, we're going to be a lot more successful. And you mentioned a sweet tooth also, right? So do you have any, how does somebody who's got a sweet tooth get over the cravings that they have for that? Can you really get rid of a, of, of a sweet tooth? I'm sure you've seen yes. this many times. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, so genetically, I, I used to also teach for this other lab company, Pathway Genomics, and they had a genetics test that I used on Freaky Eaters where they would look at, you know, do you have a sweet taste, sweet tooth genetically? Like my, my birth, my adopted mom clearly has that, right? Um, and I think we all have some sweet in us. We're hardwired to, to like search out sweet and, and fat and survive. Um, however, there's also a couple other reasons that we would seek out sweet. Number one, exposure equals preference. And I, you know, I know that if I get a little sweet, I'm like, oh, wow, that was good. Right. And so if you eat sweet, you want more sweet. It's the big challenge with a lot of these different sweeteners. I think they can be a good option but you have to exercise caution, especially if you're someone with a genetic sweet tooth, because they'll just light you up to want more, right? It may not do the metabolic damage. Like I love allulose and monk fruit and stevia and erythritol. That study was a bunch of BS, but, um, you know, because they don't have the bad metabolic effects, but not if you're all of a sudden going to light yourself up and then want more of the stuff. What I decided to do in sugar impact diet was figure out how I could get rid of these sweet tooths. Cause again, could be genetic could be due to stress. As we know, stress is going to, it's not only will stress make your gut leaky, stress is going to deplete serotonin and dopamine, and it's going to make you want to crave sugar. So are, so is poor sleep. And so is a poor diet. Like if you are more insulin resistant and you are eating a higher sugar sneaking in diet, you're not going to be able to access stored fat for fuel. And you're going to start craving more. If you're eating, if you're not getting enough protein, 
remember what I said about the protein hypothesis, you will leverage hypothesis, you'll start eating more. So I always like to look at what could these challenges be, but you can fix this pretty quickly. First of all, um, sour and fermented can help take your sweet tooth away. Learn that hack from Donna Gates. So I love this lemon juice little drink where you take lemon juice, a little cayenne for metabolism, a little bit of a sweetener of your choice, but not much to keep it sour. Throw in some glutamine that can help with your sweet tooth and try that. If you do that before a meal and you can add some apple cider vinegar, you lower the blood sugar response to the meal too. Plus you can add a walk-in afterwards to help. Um, but sour is one thing, fermented helps there too, but then focusing on getting your protein first. Because again, so often if we just start getting our protein first, adding in those non-starchy vegetables, maybe a little bit of a slow, I call them slow, low carbs, carbs we would make sugar slowly from like winter squashes or wild rice, those types of things, little bits of them, legumes and some healthy fats. Now you've got a trifecta for blood sugar balance and satiety. Your insulin is not going to go up and stay up. It's going to come up, bring the blood sugar down and then come back down again. Now you can access stored fat for fuel you can repair that insulin resistance fairly quickly, especially if you're sleeping well and doing resistance training, and then you're not going to have that sugar craving. So I attack it a couple different ways in the book. And literally when I ran 700 people through the trial, I was able to get rid of sugar cravings in two weeks, which wow. is what I set out to do. Cause I knew I could, I tapered for a week. Cause that's what I found is what people do wrong when they're trying to get rid of sugar cravings is they don't figure, fix the underlying problem of an imbalanced diet. And they also try to quit cold turkey. And if you've turned your body into a sugar burner, not a hybrid sugar and fat burner, and you quit cold turkey, all of a sudden you're going to be like, you know, starving. Like your body's used to fueling on, on, on these carbs. And all of a sudden you took all of that away. It's going to make you race. In fact, I had a gal do this. She was like raced over to the vending machine and got a Coke. <laughs> And I was like, okay, this is why we taper, right? This is why we don't do this. We taper from high sugar impact to medium sugar impact while increasing our protein and our fiber and our fat. And then we taper down to low, take fructose out for two weeks, get your body bad at transporting fructose again, and then start to reintroduce your, the things to see where really you should be. Like, how do you feel when you're eating higher sugar impact carbs? And most people go, ew, it tastes too sweet. Ew, I feel like crap. I don't want to do it anymore. Hey, it's Bone Coach Kevin Ellis. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of The Bone Coach Show. If you're finding it helpful, please leave a positive rating and review. Hit that like button, subscribe to the podcast or the channel. That lets us help more people and reach and serve more people. And it also lets us know that this is helpful to you on your journey to better health and stronger bones. And then also, right down in the show notes, you can actually find a link to my free bone healthy recipes guide that's going to give you access to some amazing and delicious recipes to support your journey to stronger bones and then also we have a link to my free stronger bones masterclass in the show notes too and that is the three-step process that has helped people in over 1500 cities around the world get confident in their plan for stronger bones over 110,000 people have have taken part in this and it's been really really helpful for them and i want you to have free access to it too so add your name and email right down there in the show notes get access to that free stronger bones masterclass and let's get you confident in your stronger bones plan today does your guidance change for somebody who's maybe they would consider themselves underweight or they've considered themselves underweight their entire life and they're like gosh, I'm just trying to put weight on. I'm trying to put muscle on. 
even mm-hmm. what would you say to that person? I've actually had a number of those people over the years. Um, and the first thing I check when I've got someone who's underweight is I check to make sure that they are not celiac or gluten intolerant. Cause I've caught that so many times um, where that's why, yeah, that's, and, and it was it, interesting when I heard your story, Kevin, cause I remember I had this guy come in to my wellness center in Palm desert and he was celiac and he was in his fifties. And I said, have you ever had a bone density test? He goes, no. So we did food sensitivity testing and I sent him out for a bone density test and osteoporotic, mm-hmm. right. And dairy intolerant, you know, so he'd gone off of gluten quite often people who've got gluten issues have dairy issues. They tend to go hand in hand, but he'd been like, you know, the milk drinker making the osteoporosis worse. I was like, oh boy. So, um, so what I find with people who want to gain weight, we still have to, we have to always make sure there's not an underlying reason that they are catabolic and breaking down. Um, and then it really is just optimizing protein intake and getting in creatine, I think is another big, important one and adding in enzymes to make sure they can do it. And then working on their gut microbiome to make sure they're absorbing their nutrients. Well, so it's, it's actually not that different than the person who wants to lose weight. Cause I look at this whole thing and I go, you know, we've been looking in the wrong direction. It is not about weight loss. It is really about optimizing body composition, starting first with making sure that you have good quality muscle and the right amount of muscle for your frame. So again, whether you, for most people, whether they're trying to gain weight or lose weight, they generally need to optimize that quality muscle, right? either which way. And in fact, if you start out and all you're trying to do is lose weight, you make yourself worse, not better. I would say if you're losing weight, but you didn't lose your waist, you just made yourself worse, not better. If you lose weight by losing muscle and fat, which is what most people do. I don't know if you saw the results of the biggest loser survey where they looked at them three years later and those people on biggest loser, the average weight loss sustained after three years was 11 pounds. They gained 90% of their weight back and they had, and this is, this is the real damaging thing. They destroyed their metabolism. Um, there's something called metabolic adaptation. When you lose weight, your, you know, your resting metabolic rate tends to go along with your weight, but you can have a better resting metabolic rate. If you've got a higher percentage of muscle, right? Because muscle is really one of the key ways that we can change that resting metabolic rate. What they discover with the biggest losers is their metabolism downshift to adjust to their new weight, but it downshifted 500 calories more than it should have and stayed there. So imagine if you went on a program, you come out of that program and you can't even eat like, you know, maybe their metabolism said I should be eating 2000 calories, but now their new set point is 1500 calories a day. And if they go over that, they gain weight. Could you imagine what a, like what a mess? because your, your hunger is going to overtake you. And I, I would think too, in, in those situations that, uh, I, I think a lot of people understand now there's a lot of trauma that, uh, affects people. They could have emotional unresolved things from their childhood that, that is impacting their decision-making. Maybe it's things in their environment, right? They want to make these good decisions, but they still keep the cookies in the cupboard or they still keep the ice cream in the freezer and they haven't changed the environment to where it's going to set them up for success. Any, any thoughts, any other things there that you, that you see could maybe set people back or keep people from making progress. 
So I used to go around the country. Uh, this was, gosh, what, 10, 15 years ago, I taught a course called Overcoming Weight Loss Resistance. And it was all the things that could get in the way of you losing weight or cause you to gain weight. And obviously, um, there's so much more now than, than even what we knew back then. But when you start to really unpack this, this is not a bank account model. That is so darn clear. And that's why years ago I said, you know, our body's not a bank account, it's a chemistry lab. But if you look at all of these things, again, I go back to you don't lose weight to get healthy. You have to get metabolically healthy so that your body can hold on to and build muscle and lose fat. And now in the United States, we have something like 6.8% of the population, I think, that are considered metabolically healthy. And then we want to focus on, oh, you need to lose weight. No, you don't need to lose weight. You need to get metabolically healthy. If you get metabolically healthy, then you will lose the weight. And so then you have to unpack, well, what are all the things that could be going on here? And, and what are the things, you know, when I was on Freaky Eaters, it was me and a psychologist and I would always go, okay, you know, it's the insulin resistance. He'd go, it's your mother. <laughs> You know, <laughs> it's like the, the the situation is it's all of those things. You can't unpack the, you know, emotions from the biology. They're the, they're the same, you know, I mean, you can't unpack the hormones from the emotions like they all are together. So which is it? It's all of it. And I think the most important thing is that we have to do is go, okay, I'm going to give myself some grace. Because what I see that just upsets me so much is just the level of shame etc. And I go, you know, if you had high blood pressure, or if you had osteoporosis, you wouldn't be, you wouldn't be ashamed, you would do something about it. Yet there's all the shame around weight when weight is a metabolic symptom of poor metabolic health. That's all. Let's figure it out. And yes, maybe you're doing some things that need to be shifted in behavior, but some things probably also need to be repaired that have been damaged. That's it. We just got to figure out what those things are. But you, you know, feeling bad about yourself and blaming yourself isn't going to fix it. Or society trying to say that we can be healthy at any size to try to make it okay isn't going to fix it either. That is a huge damage to all of us because we deserve to be at our best health. And you cannot be healthy and 100 pounds overweight. You can't. It, you know, it's just not metabolically I, there might be that one exception. So there's always is, but, you know, I just don't think that's fair to, to everybody who deserves to be able to play full out and have an amazing life and great energy. Right. I agree. JJ, this has been so helpful for our audience. I'm sure I'd love for them to understand where can they find you. And I want to make sure I link to these resources in the show notes as well. So easiest thing is jjvirgin.com. I do have, cause I know this is like, where do I start? Um, I have a roadmap that I just take people through of like, how do you get started? And, and again, it really starts with mindset. So I put that at jjvirgin.com forward slash roadmap. And yes, all the books and podcasts and everything else. And again, the number one way to get started is to start with that vision and decision and commitment and take action, which I'm sure they're doing if they're listening to you. I love that. Thanks so much, JJ. This has been great. And for everybody listening, you can find all the resources, show notes, everything mentioned here today over at bonecoach.com forward slash JJ Virgin, sugar cravings, food intolerances, bone health. I want to thank you again so much for your time. We'll see you in the next episode. 
Hey, it's Bone Coach Kevin Ellis. Hope you found that episode helpful and that you enjoyed it. Just one last reminder, if you haven't done so already, head over to bonecoach.com, sign up for your free seven-day osteoporosis kickstart. It's going to tell you everything you need to do to start getting on the path to improvement. Hope you found this helpful. I'm your Bone Coach Kevin Ellis. I'll see you soon.